How to show up with Coca-Cola energy. You're tired and you're thinking of canceling on your friends. Don't do it! Every time you cancel on a friend, a unicorn loses its horn and becomes a regular horse. Do you really want that on your conscience? Instead, grab an ice-cold can of Coca-Cola energy with delicious Coke taste and reinvigorating energy. Keep the unicorns alive! Show up every day with Coca-Cola energy. Energy you want, taste you love. The Leslie Marshall Show, a true democracy in talk radio. Of, for, and by you, the people. Leslie Marshall Show. I am Cliff Schechter, filling in for Leslie Marshall. Thank you for joining us today. Uh, we have some great guests coming up. We're going to be talking about, uh, if your eyes were not glued to that uh, spectacle today with uh, FBI Director Comey and Republicans uh, seemingly caring more about their party than this country that we live in. We're going to talk about that a little bit later uh, in the hour. We're going to also talk about health care and uh, Trump care which is much like Trump University, except for, I think, you die from it. Um, but first, we've got other political, uh, just the whole politics of, of what Donald Trump has brought uh, to our country, which is to shake things up in a way that gives Democrats a lot of opportunity, uh, you know, with changing coalitions. We're going to talk about that with a very smart political strategist who I believe we have on the line. I think we should have uh, Jordan Carp here, who is a direct mail specialist of Catalyze. Are you with me, Jordan? How are we doing? We're doing well, I think. How are you doing? I am so tired of all this winning. That's, what, that's all <laughs> I have to say. Winning's kind of exhausting, isn't it? Yeah, I mean, there's a, there's a point where you just have to say, I cannot take all this winning. I just can't win anymore. He, he warned us that would happen. He did. Um, he gave us fair, fair warning. That's true. Yeah. So we're going to talk about uh, his, his being implicated in some of the other things, or I shouldn't say implicated, but let's just say that there's an investigation going on. And from what I hear, the FBI doesn't start those for no reason. Uh, I'm going to talk about that a little bit later uh, with Brett DeResta, who will be on. But I want to talk to you because I saw a poll that the Democratic candidate in that district was is the 6th district in Georgia. 6th, yeah. Um, and it's Ossoff. I'm, I'm pronouncing his name correctly. Ossoff? Ossoff? I believe so. Uh, yep. Yeah, we'll go with that. Um, who is leading in that? And that's a district where Hillary Clinton did a lot better. A lot of up, upscale kind of moderately conservative Republicans, horrified like anybody with a working cerebral cortex. Uh, but when they saw Donald Trump, so they voted for Hillary, and she, and I think it was only a one point win in a district where Romney won by something like fifteen. So right now, Ossoff is at 41%, and the two leading Republicans there, including one Karen Handel, who people may remember for being the one uh, at the, the Komen uh, outfit there that tried to, to well, that basically blacklisted uh, Planned Parenthood. They were, she was the first, if you want to look back historically, kind of gave away what they'd be doing in their attacks on Planned Parenthood, but I, but I digress. So she has 16%. The other joker, whose name I don't know, has 16%. Math is still working for me, which... That's a question. I get to 32. He has 41. Not bad, right? 
You would think so, although it's very difficult to poll in special elections. Um, it's, it's just problematic because you don't know who's going to come out to vote. So it's very hard to get those numbers right. So, you know, it, it's obviously encouraging and exciting, but you don't know, you know, you don't know what the inputs are to make sure that what, what the respondents of the poll in terms of a demographic makeup are going to be what shows up on Election Day. Good point. You know, as smaller elections are hard to get a representative sample. Um, and there's no there's no voter history for special elections. So, you know, you don't you don't you just don't know what the what the actual electorate's going to look like. Uh, you know, that's why it's hard to poll in primaries. It's why it's hard. You know, if, if you look at back at the general election polling, you know, a place like Michigan, everyone thought that Hillary Clinton was going to win, and it turns out that you know African American turnout was down in some places, and and so it's just not representative right. of what actually came out to vote. So. You know, just just a just a caveat um, in, in terms of uh, all this, all these no, numbers, because it could be, point. It be like if you, pretty volatile. It'd be yeah, like if you change the date of a primary, for example, right? <laughs> exactly, change the date of a primary, or <laughs> change the hours, or change the procedures of how you vote early, or anything like that. You're going to, you know, it, you know, it's it's like selling soap too. You know, past behavior is the best indicator of future behavior, and when there is no past right. behavior. It's pretty difficult to find out what future behavior is going to be. Well, we talk about selling soap. You're talking to somebody who sits in a city where Procter and Gamble is, so that's a good that's a good you, way to go. Yeah, so we, people usually sell. We know soap here. Yeah, yeah exactly. <laughs> I'm, I'm very dirty. What, you, what am I going to do? Um, <laughs> but um, and and, I, and that's all well taken. But I, I wouldn't you say so? And, and this could be a segue of sorts. I mean, we're you know we're looking. We looked at that election in, in Delaware, that special election that had been close. Uh, I think in 2014, more people came out to vote and and ended up handing that seat Democrats by an 18 point margin on something that where they had won by like one or two points, and I, I believe in the last election and and you know won and so the Democrats held in the state Senate in Delaware because of it. And and here's your segue. You're looking right now at Gallup where Donald Trump has a 37% approval rating. Um, to me, even more uh, stunning than that is the disapproval rating of 58%. Because, you know, there's sometimes there's people in that non- undecided category, but if you compare to where other presidents were, it's like there's just nothing, there's no comparison even. Nobody's within 25 points of his disapproval rating at this point in time. I think Bill Clinton was the worst, you know, at like 33%. Yeah, but a couple a couple of points there. One is that in the special elections in Delaware, I would agree that base vote and base motivation will drive results in smaller special elections. So certainly, the Democratic Party and Democratic candidates have motivation and have energy and have that mobilization effort behind them. So, so that's the sort of flip side. Um, Again, on the on the Trump approval, I think you know some of this is a little bit of noise, to be honest with you, because he's not going to say at thirty-seven percent. Well, if we're talking about um, Trump, there's a lot of noise involved. Let's be honest. <laughs> exactly, a lot of uh, a, a lot of noise emanating from several orifices. <laughs> so, so you're going to have you know he's going to tick up here or there. I mean, it's a one day. Gallup does every day. So again, that tends to be a little bit more volatile. And let's let's also keep in mind Gallup. 
they they do interviews with adults. They don't do interviews with registered voters or likely voters. So right. you know, again, some of this it's all it is. Let's just temper our enthusiasm for right now on on what the sort of scope and landscape looks like right now. Fair That's enough. All. Fair enough. Although I've seen you know none other than uh, Larry Sabato saying that with numbers like these, the House could be in play. So I, I take what you're saying, and you're right because frankly, looking at any one or two data points and and having big have you know big overarching conclusions drawn from them is a very serious mistake one would not want to do that um and particularly in the in the past year of you know uh the atlanta falcons and hillary clinton and and academy awards uh <laughs> best pictures you know you, you you've got things that are one in 100 chances happening yeah so, I mean, it's, uh, it's march it's march 20th 2017 not october 15th 2018 like everybody needs to take a deep breath and say, no, but I mean for the special yet. election right now. Like, right? Yeah. no, no, you're totally right. I mean, we're a world away from the midterms. I mean, though, for the special election in Georgia, because there are there are a few others I think that are coming up in seats that are so ridiculously Republican. You yeah, know, I mean, the, I think you know that if the Democrats were to win them, it would mean that that maybe the world had come to an end and we exist in a different plane and don't know it. But that Georgia district, because of that that result, even you know with Trump and with Hillary, is the one, and we seem to have a good candidate from what I can tell, is the one where there really is a shot. So yeah. you don't even need theoretically the the floor to drop from him. You need a, you need you get you get a couple points given to you, and maybe you can win. I would agree. I think that the Georgia district, which is uh, kind of uh, possibly a dry run for the new Democratic coalition, if you will, it's sort of educated. Uh, suburban, uh, you know, white that, that kind of are disgusted by Donald Trump and kind of liked Hillary. I, I think it's kind. Of, yeah. it, it may represent a um, a harbinger of some good things to come. So, but yeah, but, but it's it's a pretty. And there's some African American neighborhoods too. Yeah. So it's kind of like those two groups, and those are two key parts of the the coalition now. So, yeah, yeah, yeah no, I mean, I, I agree. And yeah, even look, I, even that one election, right. even if he were to pull it off. We have to always look at elections, and it could be that somebody was a really good candidate, and you know there could be local factors that people don't know about. I mean, with everything, you need to be careful before you draw large conclusions. I'm just saying, it feels a bit like uh, there's a you know like he's at least right now he he's a boxer on the ropes being pounded um, because it's Russia and then it's Trump care, and I mean it's almost like releasing what was probably his best tax return ever, which is probably why he leaked it in my estimation. I'm not saying I know that, I'm guessing, which is what, 2004, 2005? Like, changing that story for a day was even helpful because he's just getting beaten up on these two things left and right, isn't he? Yeah, I would agree with that. I, I would say that on the political landscape, though, the Trump-Russia thing is still backseat to the Trump care issue. Yeah. Uh, I think yeah, Trump I've... care or the, represents the most um, dangerous pitfall for him and his standing rather than Trump-Russia, because people may hear about Trump-Russia or, or think whatever they think, but the health care bill will affect every single American. So, while And, and quite like disproportionately, this, people that yeah. voted for him, which is yeah. what makes it, you know, while you see suddenly conservative Republicans defending it from Louisiana and West Virginia, defending Obamacare, which I never thought I'd see. Hey, Jordan, we got to go to a break, and we'll pick this up in a second, folks. Uh, we're here with Jordan Karp, Catalyze, and, and many other things. Life, liberty, and the pursuit of truth. The Leslie Marshall Show, 888-6-LESLIE. 
Welcome back. This is Cliff Schechter, and I am guest hosting The Leslie Marshall Show. We are talking to Jordan Karp, who is a political strategist, has a firm called Catalyze LLC. Um, what's the name of your booze company, Jordan? The Adirondack Distilling Company. There you go, folks. The Adirondack Distilling Company. What do you have? You got good bourbon, I'm hoping? Bourbon, American whiskey, vodka, gin, the whole deal. See? Everyone should go and buy that right now. Did I sound like Kellyanne Conway there? <laughs> Except for, for me, it's legal to say that. Is the difference exactly? Uh, but you really should. It's good stuff, folks. All right, I, I I do digress slightly. So, here's another interesting data point I thought I'd bring up, which is there's an interesting article in the L.A. Times on the, for lack of a better term, the liberalizing of Daryl Issa, who we all know, um, you know, was uh, Jason Chaffetz before Jason Chaffetz was, uh, and. <laughs> You know, led the ridiculous. Uh, oh my God! What, what, what were the, you know? I'm almost forgetting because it's like 18 made-up scandals ago. What was it? Fast and Furious, I think, during the Obama years, and and uh, what else did they do? What was the the solar panel one? I can't even remember anymore. Solindra. Is, there you go. Nice. That's it's going to win you some trivia games one of these days. I these try. Days. Um, and and you know, so so ISA suddenly. Also has joined the, the caucus in the in the House among House Republicans who care about climate change. As recently as a couple of years ago, he was denying it existed. Um, he has called for a, a, an independent investigation of Donald Trump, and those are among his greatest hits. There's some others I can't think of what they are right now. But the but the point is is he's moved markedly to the left, and he's done it. Uh, it may have something to do with the fact that that he's been rated as the most. Uh, vulnerable Republican. He's in the Orange County, San Diego area that's been trending to the left rapidly. Um, and uh, and Hillary Clinton won his district by about eight points, and he won by like half a point. He hung on in, in 2016. So when you say that, maybe he's evidence, uh, he's got to be doing some polling at home and saying, ouch. I guess. I mean, people really know, need to know who Daryl Issa is. He, he is the richest member of Congress. Um, he yeah. really came to prominence in some ways. He personally financed the recall election of Gray Davis back in. Yeah, he wanted to be the governor. He was hoping it would he, end up with. Exactly. <laughs> he basically did it for Schwarzenegger to get elected, which was hilarious. He spent a couple hundred million dollars of his own money, <laughs> some ridiculous sum, just to get beat by Arnold Schwarzenegger in that election. Yeah, so he, he has no problem spending his own money. Um, but yeah, he, he's kind of a. Uh, He'll sur- he's like a cockroach. He'll survive any kind of n- nuclear blast. Um, so he's really, you know, I-, I wouldn't say that he's had a real change of heart. This is just for uh, survival purposes, I think, at this point. We're trying to. Uh, but, yeah, th- those districts in California are certainly, again, it's kind of like that Georgia district. It's, you know, uh, even though they're whiter and, uh, you know, the higher educated um, someone is, it, the sort of more movement we're seeing towards the Democratic Party, which is a, a basically flies in the face of 100 years of history uh, of, the, of the political environment um, in the U.S. So, you know, I think that this is, this is just kind of chameleon-looking uh, stuff just so we can keep surviving. Well, he's a guy who got busted for, like, stealing a car and then got rich off of a car alarm company. So apparently he, it made him realize he should invent a company to stop cars from being stolen from, by people like him. He's, uh, so he's, talking he's about flip-flopping. Rich. <laughs> I'm just saying, talk about flip-flopping. He went from car thief to car protector when it made sense. He, he, he's, a, he's always been a shady character. And you bring up that, that, that recall, uh, which was really all just about his becoming governor. 
he couldn't give a damn about Gray Davis or anybody else, and he seemed pretty upset when it was Schwarzenegger who, who took the baton and ran with it. Um, but but I'm just making a point here. You know, there are 23 um, Republicans in districts that Hillary Clinton won. There's 46, I believe it is. It's something like that, 45, 46, in districts where Trump got under 50%. And I think we'll all know when the tide really is turning when you see more of these guys kind of go in the direction ICE has gone in. Because one thing we know about this Republican caucus is they're all about themselves. They're all about protecting their seats. They, you know, they've proven they can't govern. You know, Trump cares losing people from the left and the right. There's no real governing philosophy there anymore. They're great playing defense and blocking stuff. They've figured out every tactic. But you know, when you spend 30 years radicalizing your base, listening to things that aren't true on Fox and Rush Limbaugh and whatever, and then you're magic, and then you're suddenly shocked when they still believe the things you told them and won't suddenly aren't willing to compromise. That's where their base. So their base is so far off from, from where most people are that, you know, the, and and, I, and that's what I think creates an interesting situation where you're never going to see these guys do the right thing, but what you might see them do is once the once it starts looking like it's going to bring them down, if it does, if that does indeed happen, you might see them jumping off the Trump train. So that's why I think this healthcare bill uh, for the politics of it and the and the um, the sort of optics of it are so important. If this thing goes down, it really does kind of set a precedent of, you know, Paul Ryan and his whip structure not being able to pass a bill, or, you know, you're going to have this kind of like um, House and Senate and White House and chaos uh, damage control that'll, that may last for a year and a half. So I think, that, um, I think that's why they're pushing so hard to get this done and keep their coalition together to act like a unified bloc. Um, I will say the Republicans whip organization and they circle the wagons really really well so i don't know how many actual dissenting voices you're going to hear in the house when it's all said and done on thursday oh yeah it's not that i can't see it passing the house i definitely can and i guess i said to people we're going to talk more about that in a little bit um but but you know if it does pass the house which means they've kept it the same or made it more conservative because they've lost a bunch of people on the right in the house you know you've got a half dozen people more in the senate who have objected to, to pulling Medicaid. The problem with giving Medicaid to people, to rural, you know, often Trump supporters in West Virginia um, and in you know, Louisiana and places like that is then it gets really hard to take it away. So, you know, I'll just, well, I guess we can sort of end this by saying, believe it or not, the one thing Bill Crystal's ever been right about in his life was with that memo he put out not to pass Hillary Care because they would never get rid of it. Listen, Jordan, thanks so much for joining me. It's been fun, as it always is. Uh, And uh, thanks, folks, for listening. And we'll be back uh, after these messages. Leslie Marshall, The Simple Truth in a Complicated World. 888-6-LESLIE. Welcome back, folks. This is Cliff Schechter. I'm filling in today for Leslie Marshall. And yes, indeed, this is the Leslie Marshall Show. Thanks for listening the last half hour. In fact, we almost a good segue without a commercial break. We started heading towards Trump care in all its beauty um, after talking about some of the political, uh, perhaps, fallout from uh, Mr. Trump. Uh, and now we're lucky enough to have another, what's called the political professional, Brett DiResta, President and CEO of the Maccabee Group, and uh, Brett is here. We're going to talk a little bit about Trump care and a little bit about Russia. Are you indeed with me, Brett? I am indeed with you. Thanks for having me, Cliff. 
Oh, my pleasure. How are you, friend? Uh, you know, uh, I'm trying to pick my job off the floor from Comey's testimony this morning, but other than that, pretty good. So what, uh, talk to me, what was it about that that, uh, that shocks you? <laughs> you may have to number, well, I mean, number each of them. I mean, we've become so jaded, but let's sort of just sit back and realize the director of the FBI said the president's campaign is being investigated for colluding with the Russians. Like, yeah. the, you know, I wish we could go back in time and just tell, yeah. like, 1980s Republicans that this was happening in 2017 and see, watch their minds explode. Um, it's just, it's astonishing. And, uh, you know, this is the same people who stood up there and chanted, lock her up over emails. Right. Uh, you know, it's insane. It's which, was, which was it's nice insane. enough of Comey to remind everybody of that right before the election, too. <laughs> I mean, well, yeah. I, I, seriously. He, he never likes to comment on investigations. Never. No. Um, not while they're ongoing. Absolutely not. That's just taboo. Unless it's a week before the election for Hillary Clinton. Right. You know, he makes exceptions here and there when it's really unimportant. Um <laughs> I mean, that's what I mean. This, this whole, and granted, at least Comey, you know, did something semi-good today. I mean, at least, at least he came out and, and told the truth, as far as we know, about what's going on there. But, I mean, how, you know, it's hard to sit here as somebody, I, I don't know, to me, as somebody who, who, yeah, is a patriot and believes in this country and what it stands for, warts and all, I'm not saying we're perfect, but, and, and, you know, it's just a reminder, these guys on the right who make all these claims... Usually they're overcompensating for the, for their lack of uh, whatever it is that they're lacking. And I mean, the years and years they've run on patriotism, you know, and then every once in a while you find out, oh, well, there's Richard Nixon undermining uh, the Paris Peace Accords. Oh, there's Ronald Reagan trading with the Iranians, who he calls the enemy, you know, but this blows either of those things out of the water. I mean, this is incredible and in that these, these complete, I can't say certain words on radio, but like Trey Gowdy, you know, and Nunez, and oh, Noon, how do you pronounce this now? I don't really care. Um, that these guys can sit there and essentially try to make this about leaking. You know, Gowdy, who, who spent more time investigating Benghazi than we spent on 9-11 or Pearl Harbor. Uh, well, if I could yet, just correct you, I, I would say unsuccessfully investigating Benghazi. Uh, you know, seven reports, no, you know, not a single uh, arrest or, or, or problem uh, from, from any of those reports. So, you know, taxpayer money well spent in that investigation. But, hey, Brilliant, let's yeah. Not pay I learned everything money. I need to know about it from the movie. <laughs> it was a good movie, and it left the politics out of it. It just was a there was, there, there was not enough security, and people made mistakes, and all the kinds of things that actually, yes, happened in a war zone without, you know, without evil necessarily behind them. But go ahead. Well, I, you know, I, it, it is a perfect example of what kind of hacks they are that you know you have the director of the fbi go up there and say there might have been collusion or they're investigating collusion and to investigate there has to be some level of evidence it's not like the fbi was just deciding one day to go and investigate there have must have been something to trigger this investigation so for gowdy and noons and all those guys to sit up there and go ah, let's let's talk about the leaking i mean it's it's such a level of hackery that it, 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 defines, it defies words right now. I know. For me to sort of rescue my sense of equilibrium in the world, that all these guys literally were willing to sell their souls to elect a Republican, no matter what was wrong with him, and obviously well beyond just Russia, everything is wrong with him. 
I mean, they need to all just be taken down by this. They really do, because it's it, it's it's sickening on the on you know beyond the, the level of partisanship, beyond even issues, beyond. I mean, everything these guys say they're for, and you know, I mean, what, last week. You know, Trump is is getting in fights with people like the you know England and Germany. You know, not good allies or anything. Um, I, the, it's all incredible. But so Trump, obviously, look, we've learned. You know, we learned from Comey what we sort of already knew, but we had to have him say it, which is there is an investigation of collusion going on. We do know there were actual contacts. We do know that that they helped him, whether you know there was collusion or not. Um, but. We'll we'll see what the collusion was. I find it very hard to believe that in the end there we there won't be proven collusion with many members of that uh, now administration before campaign. And the, so then then the other big political story, which is we may need even more time on, which is Trump Care. You know, the House voting this week. Paul Ryan, that uh, little worker bee uh, that he is. You know, between his P90X workouts. He's out there whipping votes and uh, claims he's got a majority. You think that's true? In the House, well, I, you know, I'm old enough to remember when rushing through health care on reconciliation was considered a terrible thing. You know, way back uh, in 2010 when Paul Ryan suggested that it was un-American and terrible and the Republicans cried for months about how bad So you're was. saying much like the thing with Russia, what they say actually has no relationship to how they really feel. They just use whatever is there at the time. Is that what you're getting well, at? I just... I just want someone to ask him if rushing through health care on reconciliation was bad, why are you rushing through health care on reconciliation now? I mean, it just seems like such an unbelievable level of hypocrisy that it, it's, I think reporters are sometimes so stunned by it that they don't ask the obvious question. And that is a pretty obvious question. And I guarantee you there are any number of quotes from Republicans on how bad it was to rush through health care on um, reconciliation. Right. Mind you, what they called rushing through health care was actually a year-long process with a committee. There actually was a, a score by the CBO. And right. <laughs> but but yeah. that was terrible. But this, on the other hand, which is, I think, a fourth of the time with actual no hearings, with no score on the CBO because they're apparently going to make changes to it, um, that's totally okay. Yeah. Uh, and at some point, it's it's just amazing. But I, I yeah. am sort of... Uh, well, so, the, so, the, so let's, talk, let's lay out the stakes where it is right now. From what I've seen, 17 have come out and said they will vote against it. They can afford to lose, what, 21, I think? If it goes beyond that, they, they lose. I, it's interesting and, and who buckle. Um, you saw Bob Adderholt meet with the president and come out and say he promised to change it, so I'm going to vote for it, which is interesting because how are they going to change it? Um, right. it either they have the majority the right now. So, so when are they going to change it? When, right. when they, they actually shut down the Democratic Party and they have one? <laughs> I mean, there what more do they need? For this, and it's not a good precedent. Um, you and I both remember in 1993 the Democrats voted on a uh, bill that had a BTU tax. Right. And the Senate took one look at it and said no. And so the House basically walked the plank, voted for a bill that had no chance of passing. Um, I don't yep. see how this bill passes the Senate. While they may even have more recently with with uh, on cap and trade when, when right. Obama was elected, yeah. So I don't um, I don't know go ahead, how sorry. you convince House members, wavering House members, to vote for a bill unless you know for sure senators are going to vote for it. And right now, you know they could, they can lose two, maybe three senators, and at least a half dozen 
if not more, have come out and said they're not voting for it in this form. Um, and they're all not voting it for it for different reasons. Tom Cotton thinks it's too much like Obamacare, Obamacare light. Ted Cruz is the same way. Uh, whereas Susan Collins and Murkowski and some others say it cuts Medicaid too much and we're not going to go for that. So I don't know where you find the sweet spot to sort of mend the bill to make it passable for the Senate at this point. Right. So, uh, you know, yeah. it's not even do they have the votes in the House. It's is this bill even going to be taken up by the Senate? And that's, that, to me, is a fascinating thing. Will, will Ryan and McConnell make all the House members walk the plank for a vote um, if there's no chance of it passing in the Senate? That is a great point. Well, let's... Um... Let's pick up on that. We, we'll, we're going to about to go to a break, and let's talk more about the House, uh, what they might do, and then we'll, we'll also talk about individual senators. We'll be right back with Brett DeResta, folks. Leslie Marshall. Real people. Real life. Real talk. 888-6-LESLIE. back. This is Cliff Schechter. You are listening to The Leslie Marshall Show. I'm guest hosting today. Uh, we've had great conversations the past, well, most of the last hour with Jordan Karp of Catalyze LLC. Right now we've got with us Brett DiResta uh, of Maccabee LLC. LLC, I believe it. Brett is a, a uh, opposition research specialist. Is that what we call you, Brett? Yes. Opposition research guru, specialist, whatever you want. Okay, that works. Uh, cool dude. I don't know. You, you tell me. So, okay, Trump care. So let's let's go back to where we were. There's 17 that are against in the House. There are eight more I read that are leaning against. Another dozen that haven't. That are kind of like eh, don't really want to. So and and you're, as you pointed out, because the Republicans have kind of ceased to be a governing coalition at this point. We can we, I can talk about that for hours about how they've radicalized you know a lot of their party. There's a bunch of people on the right who believe that there's some fantasy fairyland uh, bill that exists where you get rid of Obamacare but find a way to actually cover more people as opposed to just telling the truth, which is we don't think you should cover poor people. Oops, screw them, which would be at least honest. Ron Paul said that sort of something like that back in 2012, you know, during the Republican presidential debates when if somebody didn't have, a, uh, didn't have insurance and they crashed and fell off their motorcycle on the side of the road and they were laying dying, they should be left there, and that's freedom. Well, at least that's a theory, an ideology that they could run with. These other guys believe that. They just don't want to admit it. Um, and so you get this weird thing where they're calling for, for people to get rid of this bill, uh, but they want something more conservative. So if they move in a more conservative direction, which I think means phasing out Medicaid before 2018, very smart midterm strategy, by the way. Um, yeah, I mean, do you think they even get to 40 votes in the Senate? Because I'm not sure they do. Well, here's the issue that they have. Um, they boxed themselves in over the last seven, eight years by criticizing certain aspects of Obamacare, but still promising people that they weren't going to get worse coverage. I mean, the president himself has said, we'll have everybody will be covered and it'll be cheaper. Um, yeah, no sure. There's no realistic way to do that. Um, everybody who's in healthcare knows that that wasn't true. And so, you know, the, the running joke is there's a dog that caught the car. Well, now they have to do it. Now they have to live up to those promises. And 
you know, when you look at the CBO scoring of the bill, the biggest problem for Trump and the biggest problem for the, the Republicans in general is the people who are hit hardest by this bill are elderly and rural voters. Who are right. In other words, supporters? white people. You know, <laughs> elderly and you know, elderly and rural voters. And so, you know, there's been some comments today. Um, I, I think uh, the speaker has said, you know, they're going to beef up um, subsidies for, for the elderly. Well, okay, but how do you do that without the bill costing so much more? And once you do that, what is it, how does it affect the other parts of the bill? There's no realistic way for them to do this. Um, and it's really because they spent so many years being, you know, um, mendacious uh, about Obamacare that they have no out. And, right. you know, we're talking about whether they can pass the bill or whether they can't pass the bill. The best thing for the Democrats, um, the Democratic Party, would be for them to pass this catastrophic bill because oh, yeah. it's terrible. And for them to own it, not one Democratic vote. I agree. Millions of people would lose their health insurance. Um, I mean, so there are policy, let me be clear. The policy part of it would be terrible. Politically beneficial. Oh, yes. Yes, yes. I, said, uh, I, mean, I just want to be clear for people yes. listening that I'm not hoping millions of people lose their health insurance. No, I mean, <laughs> Democrats want everyone to be covered. That's why we've done, you know, that's why they passed Obamacare. But the truth is the Republicans are in a pickle. And it, at this point, it's pick your poison. They right. Hoisted on their own petard, we could probably say. Well, yeah, um, you know, it wouldn't surprise me if they try to pass it, it doesn't get passed, and they go, oh, well, we tried. Um and let's just try to fix certain things and, and let it go on. Because I think for them politically, it's not great, but it's better than kicking 24 million people off insurance. I, I agree. I think of a lot of bad options, which is all they have right now. And again, the, it's all their fault for lying to people you know, about how health care works and about how it can work for a decade. Plus, you know, this is this is all they, they, all they have left. The best thing would be for them if it didn't get even passed in the House. Um, if they didn't even vote on it, frankly, because they vote. I mean, look, if they, they uh, well, maybe I'm, I'm trying to sort of work this out, because the thing is, if they do vote on this in the House and some of these guys in vulnerable districts take, you know, take a vote on it. So maybe they vote in the House and the conservatives can go home and say, hey, we did this, you know, but but some of the people that are in more swing districts can vote against it might be the best thing they can do, because, again, you, you, you know, it's what you were talking about earlier. You don't want to put yourself you don't want to be on the record for this bill. The Senate doesn't take it up. And you're in a you're in a swing district, and and that's, you know that's you know that's kind of the the place they find themselves. But you brought up something else important, which is because of who this disproportionately hurts, which is older, whiter, more rural, less educated voters, which has become uh, largely has become their base. You know, you have people in these in you have Cassidy down in Louisiana, you have you know uh, Cotton in in uh, Arkansas, you have Rand Paul and Ted Cruz. And I think some of those guys, maybe I should take Cassidy out of there because he, he actually is sounding sane on it. But the other three are pretending they oppose it from the right, but I'm, I'm not sure that's not just they're hiding there and pretending they oppose it from the right. But they realize those three, you know, if, if you take particularly Rand Paul, particularly, you know, Cotton, if you take Medicaid away from people you've given it to, I mean, then people kind of notice that they, you took away their health care. And in a lot of rural areas, even Republicans in the House representing these conservative rural areas, they're going to have to explain to people back home why they've taken away their health care. Well, that's part of the trap that they've, they've set for themselves. I mean, I, you know, there's been article after article after article written about these people in 
rural areas who hate Obamacare, and then they ask them what their health care is, and then they're on Medicaid, Medicaid, and you're like, well, that's Obamacare. Or the local Obamacare, like here, you'll see a lot, you know, because Kentucky's south of us, that they'll be like, I like, I love Connect, that's what I'm on. Obamacare is terrible. And you're like, that's the local version of right. Obamacare. And so you know, you, they don't know that they're on Obamacare, they hate Obamacare, but they know they're getting health care. The minute that gets taken away from them, they're going to blame somebody. And right. Obama's on vacation now, permanent vacation, so they're not going to blame him. And that's, oh, that's, yeah. really, that's why I agree with what you're saying. You know, Rand Paul knows this. He yep. knows this. Uh, and he knows that the minute that gets taken away, they're going to blame somebody, and he's going to have to pit, bear the brunt of it. And this is, the, you know, this is the, 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 the rock and the hard place that they find themselves between. They have no choices here that are good. And the other aspect is, you know, it's not a, a Paul Ryan bill unless it cuts taxes from the rich. And we're all talking about specific political consequences. Think about the ads that are run when you have people who have their Medicaid taken away, but you have CEOs from insurance companies getting multi-million-dollar tax breaks from a bill. Right. Um, they get tax credits for making above five hundred thousand a year. I mean, <laughs> you are going. You're basically writing the ads for Democrats. Um, right. It, it, it's it's terrible policy, and it's terrible politics. I I just. I'm stunned that this is where they are, but this is where they are. Well, and it had to get here eventually because eventually it is, if they elected a president and they held on, they're going to have to govern. And, again, that's the problem is they can't because they're not honest with people. They've made people believe in a whole universe that exists where our country got to this point without doing things like, you know, I don't know, building the Hoover Dam or building the, the, the highway system across the country or the railroads or or the many things that government has to actually help fund because the incentives aren't there for business to do it by itself. And, and, and that, you know, that becomes an issue because here's the thing. Obamacare is the conservative health care plan. It's right. the only – you've got three ways you can do this. You can do single-payer, which is what those of us on the left would prefer. You've got a hybrid system you could do, which would have been, which would have been Obamacare with a public option so that you, you – know, so a way of, of keeping down uh, costs and some other things, which I would have very much liked if they had been able to pass that way back when. And then you've got this, which is the Heritage Foundation plan that people like Orrin Hatch and Mitch McConnell and people like that all supported back when it was proposed in opposition to Hillary Care as the Republican plan, well, and when Bob Dole supported it. In Massachusetts, I mean, right. it was the Republican plan. Right. This is the market. This is See, here is overall, this is the problem. If you want to just sort of look at it in a meta sense of why the Republicans are frankly screwed. Because there are market, more market-based solutions to our problems. If you are a party that believes in, or a group of people that want to find solutions, you can do that. But the, the issue here is this was the market, more market-based solution. And kind of like cap and trade was the more market-based alternative uh, to a carbon tax. But now they've demonized that too. So they've demonized. So I'll let you. We only have about thirty seconds. Why don't I give you the last word on this, Brett? Well, I mean, the last word is it's going to be interesting to watch from both a policy perspective but a political perspective. Who are the first rats to leave the ship? Um, I, you know, if you're watching today, guys like Congressman Hurd, who's considered a moderate or more moderate in Texas, uh, Peter King in New York, they've both called on the president to apologize for his wiretapping tweets. Uh, you're starting to see some of those guys peel off who are who are 
starting to feel the heat. All right, Brett, we uh, we got to go. Thank you so much for being here. That's Brett Deresta, Maccabee Group. We had Jordan Carp earlier of Catalyze. He's a direct mail guy, I should say again. Both brilliant political minds. Thank you so much for being here.